What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex Felice. And today we have two incredible investors, both Doug Nordman and Rich Carey. Doug is a retired uh, Navy veteran, and Rich is now a retired Air Force veteran. Uh, both own real estate. I don't know that Doug would identify as a real estate investor by choice. He is a massive index fund guy and basically like the father of the military financial independence uh, movement, military guide, uh, fire extraordinaire, and uh, the guy who oh, really got me. They'll be talking about you either way. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the guy who got me into FinCon, right? Without Doug, I would have never gone to FinCon. I would have never gone to the Military Influencer Conference. I never would have left Oahu for any conferences. I never would have, I never would have met Alex without you. I don't think oh. I should be thanking you for this anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then Rich, actually, I met Rich out there in Hawaii with Doug and uh, Brandon Turner and some of those guys. And Rich is uh, at the time owned 20 single family homes cash. And now he's taken on a little bit of debt and he's retired completely. And so this is gonna be fun because this is two gentlemen who have completely and totally shown that you can achieve financial independence through the military and never have to work again. So uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Run. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Thank you. Awesome Thanks, to be here again. I can't wait to give you a surf update, but uh, I think it's just going to make you sad with that San Diego weather <laughs> and uh, the way it's been over here. So we'll just skip right over that and uh, get to whatever your question was. <laughs> Why don't you guys uh, give us just like a short, like uh, two, three minute update on, uh, we'll go with uh, we'll go with Rich first on how life's been since the last time we I guess the last time we talked crap, there weren't any conferences this year. It really has been a yeah. year. Yeah. Maybe it has been a while. Sure. Yeah. All right. I guess so, so to, to, to catch you up on what's been going on in my life. Um, so I, I retired from the Air Force on August 1st, 2020. Uh, obviously, you know, that 2020 was a weird, right? A weird year for everybody. Certainly a weird year for me. Uh, I served from 17 to 19. I served in Korea. And then I set it up so that I could leave my career field. I was an OSI agent, leave my career field and go to war college and teach my last year and basically go out of my command. And I did that because that's where my rental properties were. And I wanted to retire in the place where they were and kind of figure out what I was going to do with real estate, you know, uh, from then on out. Uh, so that worked for me. I ended up being able to retire in Montgomery, Alabama. That's where I owned uh, 20 single family homes that I uh, paid cash for one by one over the years. Now, what I did during COVID was interesting, uh, especially for those that kind of have heard my story and heard me talk about this before. I've kind of been a no debt guy. Uh, debt is so cheap right now. And, uh, you know, the interest rates have gotten so low that the stuff I bought six months ago, people are telling me I should refinance. Um, but I bought uh, a fourplex and a sixplex with, with loans. And one was commercial and one was in my personal name did that during the pandemic. And uh, it's probably something worth talking about a little bit more, uh, how I, you know, how, why I decided to do that during the pandemic. I mean, I think I was like one of the first people to close, you know, with like a mask on in a room by myself. 
And, um, and then since then, another thing that I did that helped a lot uh, financially was that I took over management of my own properties. I had a property manager for the past five or six years. Taking over my own uh, management probably freed up $2,500 to $3,000 a month. Not to mention I've cut expenses. I'm doing things better and smoother. I understand what's going on with my properties now. You know, caught up on uh, uh, deferred maintenance and it's just extra money in the bank. Except for the part about the part-time job. Except for the part-time job. But, but I mean, getting to that, it has not been that much more work. Uh, if you're doing a good job watching your property management, <laughs> property manager, it's not that much more to do it yourself. That's if you live there. Now, I didn't live there before, so it wouldn't have worked. So anyway, that's me talking too much. And there's, there's my spiel. <laughs> and, and Mr. Norman, how have you been? Well, it's been, it's been an interesting year. Uh, we uh, visited our granddaughter way back in early 2020 and got back just as we were all shutting down for COVID. And in fact, when we got back in March, uh, my wife and I spent two weeks literally uh, in, uh, in the house, uh, not just social isolation, but also quarantine. And so since March, we've been home. Uh, we had problematic tenants. I guess that's the most polite way to say that. And uh, having tenants that you are not able to evict during the pandemic uh, looked like it was going to be a serious issue. Uh, the tenants themselves decided to leave in September. Uh, and if there's anything good to come out of having a pandemic where you're not able to leave the island, we were able to spend plenty of quality time in that rental property after the tenants left, getting things turned around and fixed up and uh, spend a couple months worth of cash flow on getting ready for the next tenant. Things are much better now. That's going very well. Uh, we're pretty much uh, finishing winter surfing here. Got uh, Rich here visiting for a few weeks and uh, got some other friends up the road staying here in the neighborhood. Uh, lots of surfing going on for the next few months. Uh, but I'm uh, waiting for a vaccine and I figure uh, the vaccine will be here by June or July. I've got tickets for FinCon 21 in September. I, I got the vaccine. It's not that exciting. <laughs> I, I'd love to be bored myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got a second dose in a week and mm. apparently that's the one that kills you, but no, um, I don't know. I've no side effects, nothing felt fine. Oh, good to hear. Yeah. Rich, you, I don't know the whole story, but to me, it seems like, okay, if you don't want to do debt and then you right. said, okay, well now I want to do debt. Right. <clears throat> to How me, low do interest it. rates have to be? <laughs> Well, well, okay, that makes a big part of it. But for mm -hmm. me, I look at debt as a way, as a tool to scale. Yeah. Not now. Now there is a financial incentive that it's so cheap. I get that, but um, you didn't really need it. So you said, okay, this is a tool to scale. And then you started managing your own properties, which is the opposite of scale. How do <laughs> yeah. you, how do you reconcile those two decisions? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think for me, first of all, you know. I think for me, it was never about avoiding debt. Uh, there was a time uh, when, uh, let's see, there was a time, and I think it was around 2008 for a few years, where I was flipping properties with a partner from, um, I was in Japan, and then my partner was in DC, and that's where we were flipping houses. Flipping houses with him, I was financing the deals, and he was doing the, the work on the ground. And the down payments on the uh, properties that I was flipping were $80,000 to $100,000. Those are the down payments. And I was coming up with that money. When I got to Montgomery, Alabama, and it was time to buy properties there. And I realized like, wow, these are going to cash flow really well. This is going to be awesome. Uh, first property was going to be like $30,000. And in my mind, I'm thinking $30,000. That's like 
almost a third of what I'm paying for a down payment for these for these houses that I'm flipping. Oh, by 19. And then when I when I tried to go get financing for them, it was like hard. I mean, nobody wanted to like finance these smaller houses. Um, now eventually I'm buying houses that are 45,000 and at the most I paid about 60,000. But I had the cash because I because I'd paid off this primary residence uh, and, and I'd saved up money over the years and been frugal and all that stuff. I had the cash and I actually financed one of the properties and it was kind of a pain in the butt, it took a long time and it cost a lot more money than I expected it to. I just kind of defaulted into, I guess I'll just pay for these as I go. Um, never was against uh, using debt. I, in fact, I think it's smart to put 20% down and have a 30 year fixed loan. Like to me, like nothing's better than being able to do that with these single family homes. Uh, so that's kind of how I ended up at 20 properties that were paid off. It just felt like it made sense to me to do it that way. And I liked the way that the cash flow felt. It wasn't, you're not also, you know, paying off the, um, paying off the mortgage. Uh, but at the same time, I, I've done the math and I do realize that you're better off in the long run using debt. And when I got myself back to Montgomery, Alabama, I kind of felt like, cause, cause it's been several years, it's harder to find good deals, right? You know, market's hotter and all that. But now that I'm in Montgomery, Alabama, I'm able to network, I'm able to meet other investors and everything came from, you know, it came from off market deals. It came from, you know, having somebody bring you a deal that nobody else has seen yet. So I got good deals on properties and uh, I wanted to take advantage of this and I didn't have the cash to do these deals. So I went with financing and I guess that's how I'd reconcile that. Uh, as far as management goes, I'm blogging, you know, I'm blogging and writing and you know, making videos about real estate investing. And I felt like I would just have a, you know, I'd have more to talk about. I, I, I'd have, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning the nuts and bolts of real estate. And someday if I own a 50 unit or a hundred unit or 3000 units, and I've managed my own properties for a couple of years, I just felt more qualified to deal with those issues. Great, great answer. Actually, I was to say I don't know that Alex could ask for a better answer than it's oh. content. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm no, actually, I agree. I, well, to be fair, to be fair, I formulated the question to be wonky, but uh, I knew that it was probably something <laughs> a reasonable idea. My partner, um, Roger, who I love to pieces, he when I met him, he had 24 properties. They're all paid off because he's like, man, going to banks just always seemed like a pain. They were always just give me a hard time. It was just always the difficult. And he's like, when I'm buying forty thousand dollars properties that rent for eight hundred, just buy them in cash. And then he ends up with 24 of these things. And he's like, um, and now, you know, when you try to go do something bigger than a 30 to $50,000 property, you know, it's like we bought a, you know, you buy a couple million dollar property. It's like, dude, cash is not going to work anymore. You need a different, we need a little more efficient strategy, especially when the rates are 3%. Um, right. So perfect answer, actually. And I find um, for me, you know, in my experience now, if you can get the 30 year Fannie Mae loan, on a single family property, get it. If you can get a big Freddie Mac property and a big commercial, big, big non-recourse loan, get it. Yeah. Everything in between, pay cash. True, yeah. And so yeah. On, on the sixplex, I had to, they wanted to do a five-year balloon, right? And they wanted to do, I think, 15-year amortization. And that was what was normal for, for Montgomery, Alabama. I had to fight. And also I, I had no debt and I had I had a, you know, a I guess you could say uh, my financial background to them was like, well, this guy's in great shape, but I don't, that only got me 20 year amortization in a seven year balloon. Um, but if, a f but 4% on a commercial, so not bad. Um, but uh, I much prefer my, you know, 30 year at 4% on the fourplex and the cash flow is much, much better. Yep. 
Yeah, the debt really is, uh, like you said, you know, hey, I started buying, I started buying debt because the debt got so cheap, and it's like, yeah, that really is the play, and um, and I love that, and I did, I, I got a similar loan, I got a, a five, uh, I ended up getting ten over twenty, but it's at five percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that was last year, but still, it's like, ugh, I mean, that doesn't sound bad, but when you start plugging the numbers in, you're like, man. You know, four percent at thirty is real good. <laughs> yeah, I know, and, and I think, and, and what makes me nervous, uh, and I've and I've heard, you know, kind of the multifamily gurus warn about this. Anything shorter than five-year balloon these days, when interest rates are this low, and then of course, you know, you kind of feel like, are we close to some kind of bubble exploding? Which they've been saying since I don't know, two thousand fifteen. Right, just makes you nervous. I mean, if you're forced to refinance when things are like a lot higher. Uh, even if you're cash flowing, that can become a problem. The good news is, well, it's a little good that you have the 20, the short amortization period. So at least now you're getting a, mm-hmm. some yeah. semblance of a chunk taken out of that. Yeah. So when you yeah. go to re- refinance it at seven years, even if the rates are higher, it's like, well, you know, you're, you're 40% paid down plus right. hopefully you've had appreciation. So you got a little bit of, a little bit of room to a little bit of wiggle room in there, ho- hopefully. But and I, yeah. I, I think I, another, I have the same. Yeah. I think another issue too, for me is the size of that commercial property, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's doable. I mean, if I had to pay it off, if I had to like, just, you know, I guess I'll pay cash and you know, use my money and just, you know, just, yeah. just like pay this thing off if I'm having trouble refinancing it or whatever. But of course, if I did that with a two or $3 million loan, then I'd be stuck, you know, and then I'd be, then I'd have to worry about what am I going to do with my paid off properties to help save me on this property. And that Whoa. would bother me. That would bother me a lot. I got your solution. You ready? You ready? Yeah. I just closed on a $2.4 million loan. Non-recourse. Yeah. No, I love, I love, I'd love to go after non-recourse. That is the <laughs> next move that I should make. Definitely. I got a guy. I got a guy. Don't worry. I got <laughs> right, we should, we should talk. That's, no, that's awesome. I would love to oh have my what is, what is, But my point. What is I a podcast? That, I, I did a loan last year <laughs> that I did a loan just like you, like that, that, um, you know, it's like I said, it mine's 10 over 20, um, with a little bit higher rate. So it's very similar. And that was one, one of my bugaboos. I'm like, dude, how many of these are you going to get before you start to worry, especially if you do one next year, the next year, the next year. And you're like, yeah. are we in a bubble? I don't know. If we find, if we find out and I'm caught, this is going to be a sad day. Right. So that's when I was like, um, you know, I kind of learned what you're learning, what you figured out on that same one where you're like, this commercial loan is not my favorite but you can mm-hmm. get those government backed Freddie Mac loans that are non-recourse. Yep. You get better rates, you get longer terms, you get more. And, and then my favorite part is they're assumable. So if in five years, I mean, the, we're in, if we're the rates are in better shape, then my cap rate spread goes up. My valuation yeah. goes up, right? If mm-hmm. interest rates go up and the loans assumable, they can take this loan at three and a half percent. I win either way I win. Yeah. And so, and, and Alex, another another thing I'd want to bring up is like it's me coming here to Hawaii, right? And coming to visit Doug, who's kind of like my, I mean, j- just like D- Dave put it, you know, sort of this uh, godfather of military <laughs> finance figure in my in my life. I love and, how uncomfortable that makes him. <laughs> and I'm doing and I'm doing I'm doing my long term planning, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with my life now? Like, you know, do I want to scale up to a, a, a you know twenty thousand units and and you know, be like a Grant Cardone. Uh, do you want to pay off all my properties and, and move here and surf? And I think that the answer is in the middle. I think the answer is in the middle there somewhere. But but certainly, uh, you know, uh, 
Doug is quick to remind me, do you really need more money? Like, do you need more money? Um, okay, I have 20 paid off properties and, 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 that's, and that's decent income. But the, the 10 properties that I just bought, you know, they cash flow pretty good. Uh, and I've, I, I've got a significant amount of TSP and IRA because I was always maxing those things out, you know, just kind of playing the whole FI game. I don't need, right? I don't need to do a lot more. So I think I'm, I'm not always thinking as aggressive as a lot of the other people in our community are. And I'm taking it one step at a time. You know, I think I'm considering a 12 to 16 unit maybe. I love the idea of doing it on my own. Um, I had the chance just, to buy just, just it. pace yourself. You're gonna have to yeah. do this for the rest of your life here. <laughs> I had the chance to buy it during the pandemic, but I, 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 had, I had primary residence plus the fourplex, plus the sixplex, all close at the same time. And the lender found out I was retiring, which is another story altogether. Uh, so, so um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, at mentally right now. I love this because actually I find that most people, um, I'm kind of get, I'm kind of, I found this a similar problem last year where it's like, hey, um, I really don't need that much more money. Um, I need some more money. I got to keep, yeah. I got to keep put, put, you know, putting effort into this thing, but I don't need that much more money. And so now I'm starting to think about, it, I'm like, well, I kind of just like the challenge. And so, um, but, but yeah. the, the point is, I think it's actually, most people focus on this money problem as if it's the biggest problem of their life. And really the real problem for me is finding out like, once I have enough money, what are you going to do all your free time? That's well, you're you're going to find something else that's challenging and fulfilling. And if well, it's real but, estate, you'll keep doing it. But, but I, my point is simply is that's a harder, it's a harder problem than the money problem. The money problem, it's like, hey, look, you know, yeah. follow these rules and kind of just set it and forget it. At worst case mm -hmm. scenario, you're going to be in really good shape if you, you know, really take it seriously. But then it's like, once you have enough, you know, Rich, you're a young fella. It's like, you got a lot of free time to spend over the next, I don't know, 60 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And we'll, we'll figure this out. There's plenty of surf to be had and he's got to raise well, but, a family but, and travel and all the other things going on in life. I'm not, well, I don't know. For, I'm just not saying it's not, it's an impossible problem. I'm just saying like you, like you alluded to, it's like, okay, how much money do I really need? Okay. I don't yes. need that much. Now, what am I going to do? You know, it's true. It, it really is it, true. It, it yeah. can be a challenge, but again, uh, the things that get you through the military career, the things that get you to retirement, you'll always find something you want to do. You'll be making videos probably until, uh, uh, un, until you just can't see what you're doing anymore. And uh, I'll be writing for the next 40 or 50 years. Yeah, I know that's a frightening well, thought. I, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have a question for you guys. That's yeah. I'm going to turn this completely off real estate and back to uh -oh. like finance basics. Mm. Um, I'm curious, and I feel like I probably have an idea what the answer is here. But you're both you're both 401k thrift savings plan index fund. Uh, you are both way more intelligent on that than I am. In fact, Rich, I actually have an article open on my uh, computer uh, blog post that I started to write about TSP allocations mm -hmm. because I like your article and I'm pretty sure I've given up because I realize there's no way I can write an article that like I've been looking at yours and like three or four others and I'm like I just there's no reason for me to write this I can't beat huh. what like That's Rich's TSP allocation for blog is incredible and there's no reason for me to compete with it um, so yeah uh, I haven't touched it in a while but anyway so all that to say I'm curious right the whole world is freaking out about the stock market right now and you guys are both very set it forget it simple path to wealth uh, you know index fund TSP 401k investors I am getting more and more questions about should I move all my money to G fund because we're obviously in a bubble should I do this should I do that and I'm sure you're hearing them I'm curious to hear your thoughts and and for 
those of you who don't know enough about Doug's story, are we at 18, 19 years now that you've been retired? Never worked It'll be again. 19 and years in June. Li- I know. Yeah, living on your index fund. So you literally under yes. you understand this fundamentally and through practice. So really curious to hear y'all's thoughts on what you're what you're doing with everything going on. That's that's Doug. Let Doug go on this. Yeah. <laughs> what he's really asking you is should he buy GameStop stock? Yeah. <laughs> I think he should diversify. I think you want to buy Tesla and Facebook. <laughs> I have I have a picture of the tulip mania graph in my house that I bought. Exactly. Yes. I bought it because of Tesla this year. Let <laughs> me let me put it this way: when when we were visiting our granddaughter in uh, February, uh, it took time since she was born in January. It took time for the parents to get the birth certificate and then mail that stuff off and get the social security number back and get the Fidelity five two nine account established. It just took a lot of time for them to get all that stuff done while they were getting up two or three times in a mid watch to feed and change diapers. It finally got done around the 20th of March. And that's when we gifted our granddaughter the money that you can give, you know, a total of $30,000 toward her 529 account. That money went into the stock market right around the 25th of March. And we had no way in knowing in advance whether that was the beginning of the recession or whether that was the pit of the stock market. What we knew was we wanted to give our granddaughter money to establish a 529 account. That's, That's the only goal we had was to get that money in there. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in, and we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes, We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do and will really help you out. We let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase. But I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. Now, in retrospect, now that we know how that movie ends, our granddaughter's 529 account is up 52% in 2020. It looks brilliant, but that's not the way we did it. And it's the same thing with asset allocation. You're picking an asset allocation that you can live with. And, and this might be hard, right? When you're in the military, when you got a steady job or when you got steady cash flow from your rental properties, you're tempted to just go 100% stocks and, and small cap stocks and just let it run and see how fast it can grow. On the other hand, there's a lot of volatility in that. Math and logic might tell you to go for volatility and growth and, and high returns, but if you have trouble sleeping at night, and for those who are in a relationship, if you have trouble explaining it to your partner, then maybe it's time to back off the asset allocation. But the whole point is everything flows out of you figuring out what you can tolerate with an asset allocation. Reliable income, 100% stocks, that's great. If you're sleeping at night and you understand volatility and you're comfortable with it, that's even better. But if it upsets you, if you get an exercise like a pandemic where the whole market falls apart in what, two weeks, 30%, if you find that upsetting, then it's probably an indication you need to back off that asset allocation put 10 or 20 or even 30% of your assets into something else. Maybe maybe that's investment rental properties that have cash flow. Maybe it's a tips fund. 
Uh, I wouldn't recommend bond funds that are barely returning more than CDs right now. But if the volatility is upsetting, that's the best way to handle it. So when people ask me, oh my gosh, the market, GameStop, how am I going to invest now? I've got to stop putting any more money in my 401k until we figure out what's going on with GameStop. Well, the answer is that you have an asset allocation and you can probably overlook GameStop and keep investing and just ignore it. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that's logic it, and math, but. If yeah, you want GameStop has been flashy news, but I mean, if you just, I, I don't know what you guys' strategy is. I'm not a primarily investor. I buy SPY. Exactly. That's all I do. I buy SPY in and out. I don't, and I have a couple of Amazon shares because mm, uh, Amazon's like the best freaking, in my opinion, it's un, although, yeah, well, although you're, yes. You're going to put a little bit of money in something like Amazon and maybe 10% of your asset allocation goes into Amazon. And that way, if you turn out to be a brilliant investor, it's going to move the needle on your net worth. Uh, and it's small enough that it's going to limit the damage if it turns out you're not as brilliant as we all thought. Yeah. But it turns out I was that brilliant. <laughs> hey, hey, you scared Bezos off. You made him resign and retire. I'm, I'm impressed. So, Dave, can I, if, if I could jump in and add a little bit to Your this. Of, yeah. of course. Um, so, you know, uh, you, you brought up that, uh, that post that I did, right, about TSP allocation. And, of course, I'm, I don't know if you know where I got the idea from, but are you familiar with the White Coat Investors 150 portfolios better than oh, yours? Yeah. Good one. I have not seen that article. No, I just put, just link that to this article. It's awesome. So, I mean, that's something that you would use in your in your IRA or in your brokerage account. But basically, it's what I did, except that there's there's about two hundred of them, um, and it is a totally <laughs> awesome post. It's probably my favorite post of all time. Um, but the point is, you want to pick an asset allocation that makes sense for you. And if you look at like my post and and this other post where, where they list a bunch of different things you could do in your IRA or in your normal brokerage account and give you like the reasons, this is why this would be good, this is why this would be bad. You pick one, you stick with it for the long term, you invest that way, you ignore GameStop, you ignore Tesla, you ignore Bitcoin. Uh, you just kind of laugh when you hear people talking about that <laughs> stuff and you just kind of chuckle to yourself or, or make fun of them publicly or however you decide to do it. But that kind of thinking, like that kind of, stand around the cooler or chat on Facebook about I bought this today and I'm buying this tomorrow and I made $50, you know, I made 50% in three days. There is just literally no way there's, it is guaranteed that you are going to lose over the long term. I mean, you either people that do that have either lost a lot of money or have yet to lose a lot of money. There's no other, there's no other explanation. There. That, that's my, that's my opinion, but I think a lot of people, uh, would agree with that. You got to be right too many times. Yeah. So I don't play that game. I just don't play that game. I think that's been proven. I think Warren Buffett yeah. proved that uh, people yeah. who pick asset uh, individual stocks in the long run lose to the ETFs because, yep. you know, to beat the market means you have to beat the average of the market, which is hard enough on its own. And then you have to do it every year. So the people who won on GameStop, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the casino conundrum, right? It's like you walk into the casino, you win big day one, right? It's like, okay, now you can never play again. It's the, game the worst thing that could happen. Because yeah. oh, <laughs> now the, every time you play, you're, you're running, you basically hit the tail, uh, the tail um, possibility day one. And now everything else is going to be the average. And the average is loss. And so the stock market is the same way. It's like, I hit big on GameStop. I hit big on AMC. It's like, well, now every year, um, everybody else is going to earn their little 10% and you have to beat 10% every year to avoid lose, to avoid 
hitting that average. And odds are, statistically, if you pick those individual stocks, um, you're going to be below average because the market is hard to beat. It is. It's hard. It can be beat. It's hard to beat, but it can be beat. The issue I have is that it turns into a full-time job, and I'd rather get 99.96% of the market return for about 1% of the personal effort. Yeah. Not yeah, I'm not saying it can't be beat. I said it's hard. And it's so hard. Yeah. Uh, I think they said, I think I read Buffett's average is like, is like 20%, which is incredible. But the S&P is like 9%. And you got to do nothing to earn the market average. So it's like, yeah. you know, over, you, time is the, is the asset you're really looking for, not, um, not learn the market. Well, I'll tell you what's most telling to me is what, what Warren Buffett's doing with his money, you know, when he passes away. And, and this tells you something. When he passes away, he's not, he's not having that money invested by his own company anymore. Uh, he's having it put in the S&P 500. They're going to put it in SP 500 index. It's actually 90% SP 500 index, 10% bonds. And that is how he is instructed that his money, the number one investor in the world, be invested for when he's gone. And I think that's very telling. And, I, and I, I've been running with that lesson since I was 20 years old, and, I, and it hasn't steered me wrong. They just can't find somebody else who's willing to read 500 pages a day and spend their entire life learning about the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. To earn, to earn 20% when 10%, you got to do nothing. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy and, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, no, that's, yeah. And, <laughs> and that doesn't even account for the fact that these guys are paying short-term gains, short-term capital gains tax on top of this oh, yeah. stuff. So I, for, for context, for those listening, I'm a, uh, I don't ever talk about my fund uh, allocation publicly just cause I don't want people to take it as advice. So please just understand that I say this and, uh, it's not me giving you advice. This is just what I've gone to, but I'm 75% C, 25% S, and I just leave it. Yeah, I like it. And that's, yeah, and that's okay. just it. I just, I was, I was after reading Simple Path to Wealth. I was like, this seems to fit what I want. Um, Rich yep. actually had a hand in, in being one of the guys who helped proofread that book. And I think oh, cool. he was the one who turned me on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. Uh, and on my, that's, that's my real estate diversification. I have, you know, not nearly as much money as I should in there because I left it in the G fund for years. But um, <laughs> when, when all this hit, I literally just took my 30% that goes into TSP and doubled it. And I was like, oh, you know good. what, there was a 30% dip. I'm going to max this out this year and we'll see what happens. And that was a very good decision, I think, but I didn't tweak my allocations. I didn't, and I think that's, and this is obviously, I've had conversations with both of you about this, but I think that's the key is just having an allocation where you're like, eh, who cares? Like, I'm going to leave it. It's, it's it's comfortable for me. For your audience, there's another thing that I'd love to talk about real quick, and that is, um, you know, we get real hung up on how much fun it is to make money in real estate, and we're you've got Facebook groups where everybody's bragging about how much they're making and how they're under contract on another ten not, unit, not and, no. and they're burring the money out, and you know, kind of the list goes on and on. And I think there's this fear of missing out, and certainly I think these military members <laughs> uh, come into these groups. Uh, your group and some, and there, and there's some other groups that are even just focusing on military real estate. And a lot of times they'll say something like, you know, I've got to stop contributing to my TSP so I can like put some money in real estate, you know, or, or I've got to take, I've got to stop contributing to my IRA. And then there's something you can take that a step further. I'm going to pull the money out of my TSP, right? Or I'm going to take a loan, right? Against that money. Um, my personal opinion, I really think that's a mistake. I love real estate. A lot of my wealth, a good portion of my wealth is in real estate. That's where I made a lot of my money. But 
I, from my perspective, and not, not everybody's going to feel this way, from my perspective, the index, the TSP and the IRA, that is your sure money. That is your sure retirement. Lock that down first. Make sure you're doing well in that department. Then start responsibly investing in real estate. That is my approach to it. So well, if you've got I high just, savings, or you're going to max out your TSP contributions, you're going to max out your IRA contributions, and then you're going to have money left over to go invest in real estate. Yep. Yeah. Not also easy to do at the beginning of your career, but possible. You're saying yeah, also, can I add that um, 401ks, TSPs, IRAs can be used as reserve requirements for loans. Mm-hmm. And so you're sitting there like, I'm going to take my money out of my 401k. <laughs> and I'm like, now you're going sit to sit it in cash and wait when the bank says you need, you know, six months PITI. So part of the thing, I, I never, I don't do too much with I, uh, 401ks and IRAs because I don't ever work long enough to add, when I work, I put in. I put in. <laughs> okay, that's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when I don't, you know, I do my IRA contributions at the end of the year to reduce my taxable income now. But um, um, but I always love people like, why don't you cash your, your 401k out and buy real estate? I'm like, my 401k hedges against my my potentially bad real estate decisions. Mm, you know, what if real estate doesn't go that well, you know? It's like that 401k can save you, not to mention they, it helps you with the bank requirements. Otherwise, you're sitting on cash. So I hey, For this real estate plan to go bad, there'd have to be something like a global pandemic before this whole plan would fail. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean, right? I'm yeah. more, less worried about real estate, more worried about me. Groceries. Yeah. Just, so. I mean, just, just to you know, run with that a little bit more because I agree 100%. So I tell people all the time, like the, the coolest thing for me about the TSP is that it counts as reserves, but only for the purchasing, right? So mm-hmm. I can use the same 50,000 in that TSP for every purchase I make and be like, oh yeah, yeah. Right? to an yeah. extent, right? But the yeah. cool thing for me, the incredible thing for me and the piece that really drove the TSP home for me, even though I made all these mistakes with wrong contributions and not allocating enough as a young Marine, when the pandemic hit, pandemic hit, I literally pulled up all my properties and I was like, okay, if I'm at 100% vacancy, how long can I hold it if I have to liquidate my TSP? And it was like 19 months. I was like, okay, I have enough enough money in my TSP that if I have 100% vacancy, I can run these properties for a year and a half without a single tenant off Mm -hmm. this. Perfect. Like that, that to me, that peace of mind is just incredible. Just knowing that, hey, this thing's over here. And if I have to pay off all my bad debt or pay out, like if something terrible happens, like I'm not going to spend that because if that was in a savings account, I would I would find a property to put it in. It would it would get spent. Um, <laughs> I think for people like me who are very uh, aggressive, having an account that you physically can't touch and just telling yourself it's off limits is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. And so you know, you you bring that up. Uh, the beginning of the pandemic was like there was a realization for me. A lot of times, having all your properties paid off just seems like overkill and just seems absurd. And in most in most cases, it is. But certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, that did not seem absurd to a lot of people. Um, and so I'm sitting there going, what's going to happen? You know, if I, what's going to happen if nobody pays? Like, I'm going to be really annoyed, you know, because I used to get, you know, this much money a month and now I'm getting none. But I still have my, I still have my military paycheck and I'm going to have my, I'm going to have my uh, retirement paycheck and I still have all this money in, in TSP and IRAs. Like it really, there was actually no risk for me. In fact, that's where I kind of decided like, you know, I'm really in safe and a safe enough position that even as a conservative real estate investor, I really should buy some real estate right now. And the funny thing was there were even really great deals because we never really got into a, you know, something scary where things got crazy and people, there's no fire sales. Right. But I still went out and bought, but, but that is when, um, 
having paid off real estate can give some amazing peace of mind. And if things would have gotten bad, uh, that would have been a decent place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think uh, everybody prudent worried in March last year when they're like, we don't know this mm. thing could be calamitous. I don't know. Uh, turned out that it was, it's been largely okay. the most okay. Yeah, not so bad. And the real estate market, goodness gracious, if you're a broker, I Oh know. my God. I know. Um, so but I, I have all debt on my properties and I love it so much. I'll never get rid of it. As soon as it's paid mm-hmm. off, I'm getting more debt. But that's my style, right? But I have capital, I have cash, and I live mega light. So that's the other part of that. You know, we're talking about financial freedom. It's like, bro, I, I live. <laughs> we had a 20-year-old um, kid on earlier on the podcast. And I'm like, my cost of living is probably close to his. <laughs> well, you, you not only you not only pay good play good defense, but you're also investing in good deals. You're not going in there and hoping for appreciation to salvage all the rest of the numbers. I haven't bought a single family home since early 2019 because the prices got so um it got it got very competitive for me and I don't mind competing, but it's kind of like we talked about where uh in a similar vein to you, it's like, you know, I got I got I don't have 20, but I have eight and they all run right. And, and I'm sitting here like, you know, I don't need that much more. I don't need that much more. So yeah. for me, I, all my deals have 40% equity, if, if not better now. And right. uh, they cash flow. And I live in a market that, uh, you know, we didn't see, we live in a military market, so not much volatility. But I love these, I love having guests on here that are risk averse. So I'd be curious. I'd be curious yeah. to ask a loaded question real quick for Doug. Um, oh. I don't know if this is loaded, but um, so obviously with the VA loan not having a cap, there's a lot of potential out here now to buy. I've got friends who bought like million dollar fourplexes where they they literally live for free, and and there's some cool, you know, like I, obviously I don't advocate this for people who don't have good financial backings. Like I got a friend who has like 50k in his checking account as a sergeant and bought like a $1.2 million house and he gets paid to live in it. Pretty sweet deal, right? Okay. Um, yeah, and he's going to live there for, you know, whatever. Anyway, my question for you is, right, because I am like you two gentlemen, I'm a cash flow guy. I understand the appreciation play, but it's not my main game. I much prefer the cash flow where when everything goes wrong, I can cover my expenses. Doug, you live in the probably one of the two or three top like king markets for the phrase, the appreciation will make up for, you know, whatever. And you have owned, I know you own two, you've owned one of those houses for, correct me if I'm wrong, like 15, 20 years? 31 years. This yeah. one, right? Going on this 32. House. All right. Oh, so this, house, this house this right house, here yeah. is 21 years, but the rental property has been 31 years. Okay. So my question for you, I guess, is because I know you're more conservative and, and you have not been a huge fan of your real estate per se, is, is what do you think of that? In an appreciation market, like what are your thoughts on that mentality when it's not a place where you're going to be able to, if you're saving money on your mortgage to live there or you're going to live in it forever, like there's an argument to be made there. But I'm just curious, kind of your thoughts on that. No, if you're if you're trying to make money in real estate on Oahu, you're probably doing a, a live-in flip. Uh, you're probably doing a, a gut to the studs rehab or you're house hacking. And those are the people that are reliably making money because they're adding value. They're buying at a very big discount or they're buying at market and making it a higher value. Uh, We have watched appreciation over the last 31 years at just over two and a half, excuse me, 2.2% about the rate of inflation. And meanwhile, if that money had been in the stock market, it's not about the appreciation of the real estate. It's about the opportunity cost. And if we had that money sitting in the stock market during that same time, we would have looked at an average return, annual return of roughly nine to 12%. So I would much rather have not learned everything I've learned about being a landlord 
from that property and just had that in the stock market. Now, for, for many very good reasons, we did keep that property and, and family is one of the reasons we kept that property. We have had family living in it over the years and we want to make sure that when our daughter and our son-in-law return to the island that they can get started and have a place to live and uh, work up from there. So family's a, a bigger reason than, than the cash flow or the appreciation. But if you're going to come invest, this is a place where you rent your, where you're living or where you house hack, and then you go and invest in real estate just about anywhere else in the mainland. And there's a lot more places in the mainland that makes sense to do that for the cash flow. Yeah. I, if I could add on to that for a sec, um, I think what people do when they come to Hawaii is they hear that the person that bought here a couple of years ago just made a hundred thousand dollars right in one year. And, you know, there's a stories about the person that, you know, bought and then owned it for three years and sold. And, you know, it was a $300,000 profit. That kind of appreciation happens. Like there are years where it goes up 15% and then it might go up 15% the next year. And then it might go up 10% the next year. But what people don't understand is then there might be an eight year time frame where it's flat, you know, and then it might dip for some reason. And I think the the point is, you know, we're seeing kind of this sexy rise and hearing all these stories, but in reality, over the long term, you're still not doing anything extraordinarily better than any other market. And so I think that's where people go wrong. And we can look out this window at uh, 3,000 new homes that are being built that are going to go on the market, brand new real estate in a couple of years, and uh, down H1 a few more miles. Uh, Opili is going to bring 15,000 homes onto the island over the next five years. I'd hate to be buying now and hoping for appreciation in that kind of a market. When you have so much sprawl. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's kind of what we talked about earlier. It's shiny object syndrome. Oh, and yeah. people, people don't have... I have a, a friend who she's, she went from luck. She got lucky in life. She went from living, you know, making a minimum wage or, or 30, 40 grand a year to now she's going to make like 350 grand. And she's like, I don't know what to do with the money. And I'm like, that's what gets people in trouble. And that's why people chase flyers and GameStop and Bitcoin. And they're like, somebody just made $20,000. And you're like, yeah, you might make $20,000. But if you do this, uh, prudently, you 100% will make $20,000. <laughs> and so people don't have the strategy. And so they're like, somebody else made all this money. This is what happened in, well, okay, that's a mistake to say. This is what happened in 2008, but it's part of what happened in 2007 and eight where people are like, the last guy made you know, 50% appreciation. I'll make 50% appreciation. Don't think about it. Real estate can only go up, close. <laughs> and, but, and, and, and it's like, dude, you, if you had just stuck that in the, in the SPY, you'd have been okay. Or VTX, whatever it is. Yep. It's, um, it's like the people who roll a dice five times and four times they get a six. And then they're like, well, I'm just going to bet on six because obviously if six happened the last four times, it's going to happen again. It's like, yeah, past performance doesn't indicate the future, man. And, and <laughs> yeah. people, and that's, that's and that's a psychological, math works. yeah. And that's uh, a psychological flaw, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's very easy to see it happen to people. Um, man. And on that note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know it's, it's, it's dinner time. And, uh, I, I guess my my one question for you both before we before we roll would just be yeah. if you had one piece of advice for uh, just a, an most of our listeners or a large chunk of our listeners are new young service members so yeah. like one piece of advice that you think is like the one thing you wish every service member knew when they joined the military financially what uh, would it be oh that's easy I'll go first okay track <laughs> your spending track every penny that leaves your wallet for the next few months and find out where the money's going. 
Yeah. For military members, I'm going to, I want to, I want to give two, cause I'll say one really quick. Number one, invest from a, invest from a financial position of strength. Yep. So do the, do the TSP and the IRA first and get some money saved up, get rid of some debt. The next thing is in the military, don't buy a house at every duty station. Okay. <laughs> yeah, learn I, from don't, us. <laughs> I don't buy a house unless that house will make money as a rental property when I move away. And that is something that you should think about if you're in the military and you're going to move every one to three years. Now they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is such a common piece of, uh, uh, that is such a good piece of advice because so many people, I had that idea. I'm like, I'll just buy one at every duty station. Yeah. And you don't, that sounds good, but it's actually a really lousy strategy. Yeah. Um, and you do the opposite yeah. of scale, right? You have no scale, efficiency of scale. You're just... Yeah. Management's tough. Management's tough. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that you said that. That's really good advice. Both of those pieces of advice. Gentlemen, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us and uh, not having surfboards in the background. Yeah. (laughs) Not this time. That was a lot of fun, you guys. Uh, Thanks for having us on. This was great. I hope to see you guys in person soon. Oh, yeah. I know. Thanks, Ox. Thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.